This is The Guardian. Today, the first of three episodes uncovering a scandal that was buried in Bangladesh five decades ago, but is still shattering lives across the world. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. She just replied, so she, to say, it's okay if you're going to be here a bit later than you said, so... We've arrived in a village outside Amsterdam in the Netherlands. It feels rural and quiet. We pull up on a gravel drive and step out of the car to a grand, eccentric farmhouse. The courtyard looks like it has seen some parties. There are headless mannequins, fairy lights and a bathtub all setting the scene. I'm with Guardian journalist Teslima Begum and Rosie Swash, and we're here to meet a woman called Bibi Hassanar. Hi, my name's Nosheen. Hi, I'm, I'm Bibi. Hi, I'm Bibi. Hi. Maybe the first thing that went through my mind when I saw this woman is that she's a rock star. She's dressed head to toe in black, leather trousers, long flowing hair. Inside, her home is magazine shoot ready. She gives us a little tour of the grounds and introduces us to her Mongolian double-humped camel. And at one point, she starts calling out for another pet. Birdie! Birdie! Out of the high grass. Oh my god! Steps an emu. Birdie, I wasn't expecting a small bird, it is an actual emu. (laughs) Hello! Bibi has a real presence about her. Steely. No nonsense. She tells me she runs several businesses and is a mother to four grown boys. Oh, yes, I did a lot of things. I am an entrepreneur, so I had a restaurant and bar, and I also have some apartments that I rent, and I do really good business in the second-hand industry. And, uh, She's lived in this village and, uh, since she was adopted as a small child from Bangladesh. Really And Bibi's life, her identity, was built on a very specific story about how she got here. Hello, I'm Bibi. I was born not long after the Liberation War, and I was adopted to the Netherlands. Bibi was born in Bangladesh in 1972. When she was four years old, her mother left her and her brother, who was around six, in a children's home. The two of them were adopted abroad and taken to the Netherlands. As far as Bibi knew, this was her story. But in 2017, that story was blown apart. A 
friend recommended that she watch this documentary about a Dutch man looking for his birth family in Bangladesh. Op Schiphol werden ze destijds opgewacht door veelal idealistische adoptieouders die dolgraag een arm kindje uit Bangladesh wilden. When the credits rolled, she sat there for a minute. She felt an odd sensation. As if her eyes had seen something that her mind couldn't quite compute. I thought there was something. I don't know what, but there was something. And then I go back to the program. And, he told and so she watched it again. There is a scene in this program in which an elderly Bangladeshi woman sat on a charpoy, passes an old newspaper cutting around the room. Bangladesh kunnen vaststellen. Okay, maybe we can uh, start one by one. Yes, easier. The camera zooms in briefly on the article that she's sharing. It's a story about six local children who had gone missing, been taken. There are photos of each of them, pictured in grainy black and white. And I look at the pictures and I thought, huh? That's my brother. And then I thought, oh, that's me. <laughs> so I, I was thinking, how is it possible that I'm one of the children? I think that is strange because I didn't know why I am a missing person when my mother has agreed with the adoption. Bibi was stunned. She had grown up certain that her mother had willingly given her up for adoption. But what if something very different had happened? Something much more sinister? From The Guardian... I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the mystery of Bangladesh's missing children. Taslima Begum and Rosie Swash, you've been investigating a story about Bangladeshi adoptees who believe they were wrongfully taken away from their families. But this isn't the story you initially thought you'd be telling. Taslima, it all began with a short Facebook message to you in 2020. Can you tell me what happened? The message was from a woman called Jane, who had reached out to me after reading some articles I had written on the Rohingya crisis. Taslima is an award-winning reporter. She specialises in conflict and women's rights. I had been out in Bangladesh for about two years reporting on the Rohingya crisis during which Rohingya women had been raped by the Myanmar military. And following those rapes, hundreds of children were born in the camps. And I think reading that resonated with her. So Jane is a Bangladeshi adoptee who was brought to England in 1972, shortly after the Bangladesh Liberation War. She was the baby of a Birangona, a term we use to describe women who had been raped by Pakistani soldiers during the war. Jane very much like, grew up not knowing about her past. And at the time she sent that message, it was shortly before her 50th birthday. I think she was just at that stage in her life where she really, really wanted to know more. Jane was looking for other babies like her. She was born at a unique moment in the history of Bangladesh. 
For months, throughout 1971, the country had fought a brutal, bloody war to win independence from Pakistan. After a night bomb raid on Dhaka, the search for the bodies in the wreckage of an orphanage. Most of the dead are children. Millions suffered. And hundreds of thousands of Bangladeshi girls and women were raped by Pakistani soldiers. This horrific campaign of sexual violence left thousands of women pregnant and often abandoned by their families. They were given an honorific title, the Biringona, to show that they were war heroines. But the government knew that their babies would be shunned by society. So a radical new law was passed, the Abandoned Children's Act. This allowed families from around the world to adopt Bangladeshi children for the first time. Jane is one of those war babies. So Taslima began digging, looking for more people who were adopted in that post-war period. So I found actually about like six of them, and they were from all over the world, from the US to Canada, UK to Norway. But Taslima realised that the later international adoptions couldn't have been the children of Burangona women. They were up to 10 years after the Liberation War had ended. And the details in some of these cases didn't make sense. One woman in particular set off alarm bells for Taslima and her editor on the Rights and Freedoms desk, Rosie Swash. She seems to have only one piece of documentation. On those adoption papers, it makes clear they don't even know what her age is. She's described as having been abandoned outside a children's home before she's adopted by this couple and raised in Norway. There was a sense in Taslima and I that there seemed to be a real lack of safeguarding. For example, we know of one couple who took more than a dozen babies out of the country in one go and they were given one piece of paper for all of those children because there were no passports available for them. The more Taslima found out about war babies, the unknowns became bigger and the sense that perhaps that there was something not right became bigger. Then they met Bibi Hassanar and realised the true nature of the scandal they were reporting on. OK, something... I'll, I'll take whatever's going, whatever's easy. Um, normally my husband uh, does this kind of things. <laughs> I'm not really good in it. You had memories of Bangladesh. Yes. Tell yes. me about that. I knew that there was something like a war. I remember that people were scared and that we are afraid of our lives. And we were hiding for that because there were a lot of bad people there, I think, with guns. And I remember that I saw that person next to me. It was really, uh, that make a lot of uh, impression on me, I think. Do you remember your mom? Do you remember your family there? My mom, I don't remember her face or something, but I remember that she has really long hair. And I remember that I do a lot of things with my elder brother. I remember that I went in the children's home, I remember. Bibi's memories of Bangladesh are patchy. As a very young child, she lived in the Datapara refugee camp in Tongi, just outside the capital city of Dhaka where she remembers flashes of those turbulent post-war years. But there is one day she hasn't forgotten. The day her mother took her and her brother Babu 
to a children's home and left them there. I remember that I saw my mother, that she bring us, but I didn't have the feeling that I never see her again. I cannot remember that she say, I never see you again. Bibi remembers her total confusion. Sometime after her mother had dropped them off, Bibi and Babu were on a plane bound for the Netherlands. In her brother's hands, he held a photograph of a white Dutch family. And I remember everything from my flight from Bangladesh to the Netherlands. Every detail I know. My brother, he's maybe two years older than me. I remember I, we were in the plane, it was really empty. And my brother, uh, he has a picture of his new family. But nobody explained something to me, so I didn't know anything. When they touched down at Schiphol Airport, four-year-old Bibi was separated from Babu. They'd been adopted by two different families. He went to live with his, and she was sent to hers. Where did you go? Where were you taken to? I was go to a family. They had uh, two children. I think they were really nice to me, but... I didn't care because I want to go to my brother. So I cried for maybe three days. And after three days, I went to my brother. The good thing was that I was with my brother. But the bad thing was they ordered one child and not two children. And so it was really, it was not a good time for me. From the start, her relationship with her adoptive parents was let's say tricky. Bibi describes a strict, rigid household, which came as a shock. She didn't understand the language at first. She didn't like being told what to do. So she rebelled and fought back. Later, despite that painful start, or maybe because of it, Bibi found her independence and thrived. She met and married her husband, Young, And by 26 years old, she was a mother of four boys. She created a life and a family of her own. There's one moment she looks back on from those years. In 1993, when Bibi was pregnant with one of her sons, letters started arriving at her door. They were stamped by a DACA-based lawyer who claimed to be representing her birth mother, Samina Begum. I get a letter from somebody and she told me that my mother was searching for me. The letters claimed her mother never intended to give her up for adoption. Bibi was asked for money to help with the case. She couldn't understand it, but she sent back cash. And then everything stopped. She heard nothing. I called the office, but they didn't know who was Samina Begum. So I told them I get letters and it's from your office. So it is strange that you don't know. So There had been two organisations involved in Bibi's adoption sure in 1976. The children's aid organisation Terre des Hommes Netherlands, known as TDH, and World Kinderen, a charity that facilitates international adoptions. 
Bibi wasn't sure what to do. So she contacted World Kindren and asked for help and told them what had happened. She says they told her that her mother had willingly given her up and that she was now making up the story because she was ashamed. When Bibi suggested that she might go to Bangladesh to find out for herself, she was warned off. Then they told me, oh, you you don't go to Bangladesh. It's really dangerous for you. It's When you go, you maybe not survive because there are a lot of people there. Uh, they see you as a trader. They make me really scared. <laughs> and I thought, no, uh, I have now three children and maybe four. Then I don't want to go, of course. It was overwhelming. And so she let it go. I'm not sure. I, I think my mother was in the beginning involved. And after that, uh, I think there was somebody who wants to take money from me. Bibi was never contacted again. She assumed she'd been scammed. And so she closed the chapter on what had happened to her and Babu back in Bangladesh. Maybe it it sounds strange, but for me, to survive, uh, you have to close books to go further in your life. But then came that TV documentary. When Bibi saw photos of those missing children and realised she was one of them. It's difficult to imagine the earthquake that blew up in her life. Bibi had grown up forced to believe that her mother didn't want her. That she had chosen to give her away. And she had twisted herself and her identity around that lie. My whole life I I knew something, it's a feeling that you know that there is something not good, but you cannot get your finger on it. I always thought in my life that there was nobody in the whole world who was missing me. And now when I see the picture, I thought my mother, she did her best to find me. Bibi dug out her adoption papers, which she'd never really looked at closely before, hoping that they might shed some light on the mystery of her adoption. She immediately spotted some bizarre errors on her paperwork. For one, she was listed as having come alone to the Netherlands, not with her brother Babel. It was strange. So she contacted an organisation which helps Bangladeshi adoptees sent abroad to find their biological families. She handed over her adoption papers, but didn't hold out much hope. And then there was a match. Someone came forward. He said he was Abdul, Bibi and Babel's older brother. I got a video from my brother in Bangladesh. And the first time I saw my brother, I thought, oh, I thought, I never see my whole life somebody who looks like my other brother. It was really, if they were twins. I sent pictures to friends and they all say, oh, huh? is, that, is that Babu? I said, no, that's my other brother. No, that's Babu. Uh, I said, no, it's my other brother. Abdul and Bibi chatted over the phone. Or they at least tried to. Language was an issue. But they were able to make a connection. And so she went to Bangladesh. 
Abdul was 16 when his little sister and brother were taken away. They'd been apart for a lifetime. When I go to Bangladesh, I didn't have any expectations. So, yes, I go blind to Bangladesh and I thought, I see what I get. And on the airport, my family was waiting and it was for them really emotional. Uh, he uh, told me, do you want to see where we lived? And I said, yes, of course. And I thought, oh, when I was little, I walked here. It was really uh, strange for me to feel that. In Bangladesh with her brother Abdul, Bini finally learned the truth. Not only had her mother not given them up, but she had fought her whole life to try and find her children again. And she died carrying that pain. A decade before Bibi finally came home. When we go to the cemetery where my mother was, it was really also for me really special. Uh, in Bangladesh, they believe uh, that there is life after death. I don't know if I believe it. I, I know my mother thinks there is life after death, so I was there and I told her maybe I'm a little bit too late, but I'm here. So that was for me emotional. When you are a mother by yourself, then you know how uh, bad it is to, to lose your children. I think that is, that is for me also why I do this. My feeling is by my mother. I never know that there was somebody at the end of the world, <laughs> uh, on the other side of the world, who was fighting for me. That was for me, I think, the most special. Abdul explained to Bibi the real circumstances around her adoption. Their mother was poor, and at the time, she was struggling to provide for her three children. Do you know, or can you tell us, the circumstances in which you were taken away from your mother? The circumstances, what I remember, is that I uh, go to a, a children's home. and uh, Bibi's family say they were approached by men claiming to be TDH Netherlands workers, they told her they ran a children's home within the camp where she could enrol Bibi and Bubble. He tried to convince my mother that he had a better option to take care of my brother and me. That was to the children's home. He had told her that they take care of us. We get good food, clothes, and we get an education. Abdul said that there was never any mention that this home was actually an orphanage or that this would be a permanent move. And in the holidays, we come home and uh, she can visit us every weekend when she like. And when we were 15 years old, something like that, we come back and then take care of our mother. And I know from my brother in Bangladesh that it was a difficult for her uh, to do something like that because she wanted to see us every day. But she thought our future and maybe her future was better when we had good education because she cannot uh, give it to us. Then what happened? So she's presumably coming to visit you, seeing yes. that you're being taken care of. She went to us in the weekends 
but uh, she was not allowed to see me because they told her that I was too little and then I get upset maybe when I see her. I know that she saw my brother one time again, but after that, a week after that, she come back and then she was not allowed to see us. Bibi's mother was outraged. How dare they not let her see her children? She make a lot of noise and uh, she wants to see us. And then there was somebody who had a weapon. He told her that she must uh, go because we were not anymore in Bangladesh and we were on an airplane to a country, but he didn't know which country it was. So she didn't have to search for us anymore. We were gone. Her mother caused a commotion, but she was threatened with a gun. She was helpless. I just can't quite imagine how a mother then processes that. Like, your brother in Bangladesh, what did he say about her sort of mental well-being after that? My brother in Bangladesh, he told me that he, yeah, in the beginning she was really um, sad she was only crying that he that she wants her children back and i think after i don't know the times maybe after a few weeks months uh, she she start up with uh, her fight to get us back and you said your mother was a fighter like what did you learn about what she did after you guys were taken away or how did she how did she understand what had happened my brother he told me that my mother was involved with that newspaper and that uh, she tried to get uh, attention for this whole case. She tried to contact a lawyer and uh, to try to get us back. So she fights a lot. And she also went to Dr. Prager. Dr. Prager was a really important man. He was there. Jack Prager was a volunteer doctor from England who worked in a clinic run by TDH. The same people that Abdul said took his brother and sister. Prager seemed kind and well-liked. Bibi's mother went to him and begged for help. He told me that, yeah, there were a few women who came to them. He has a list from the mothers who lost their child. Yeah, they called that the Dr. Prager list. And my mother was uh, on that list on number one. That list is very important. A list. Not only does Bibi claim that she was stolen away from her mother, she believes that there are others like her out there. And their names are all on this Prager list, which documents the women who pleaded for his help when their children were taken. As for the others on that list, who are they? What happened to them? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Guys, pop culture is returning on Thursday, the 14th of September. You will also have the chance to attend the show's very first live event. I will be at the London Podcast Show on Sunday, the 17th of September. And joining me is a matchmaking expert, you know, Married at First Sight's very own Paul C. Brunson. Purchase your tickets to be in the room or on the live stream at kingsplace.co.uk forward slash pop culture. Bye. Rosie, BB's story is so shocking, just really unbelievable. Where did it leave you and Taslima? Hearing BB explain just exactly how her mother was tricked into giving her up, I find it really upsetting, even now, this far into the work that we've done. But then once you process all the awfulness of the story and what it makes you feel, your immediate question is how many other people did this happen to because of the huge numbers of children that were adopted to the Netherlands in the mid 70s there is a charity that exists there who work to find relatives in Bangladesh and reunite them with the adoptees and they have found in at least 39 cases that the family are making the same claims the same allegations that those children were never supposed to be adopted in the first place and that their mother never abandoned them or placed them for adoption Taslima, you began tracking other adoptees and taking a look at their adoption files. What did you find? I mean, at this point, I think I've seen probably over 100 adoption files and all of them said a very, very similar story. At some points, it literally felt like a copy and paste of this one specific story of a father dying tragically in a car accident, a mother who basically lived in poverty and couldn't afford to bring up her children. And it felt odd to me anyway that so many number of children had exactly the same story. So for both of you at this point, it seems obvious that something was going very badly wrong in Bangladesh in the 1970s. What did that mean for where you went next with your reporting? 
Well, the first thing I wanted to do was substantiate Bibi's claims and find the man who had tried to blow the whistle on what was happening in Bangladesh in the mid-70s. Hello, Catherine. I'm Rosie, lovely to meet you. I managed to track Dr Jack Prager down. Uh, I went to visit him at his cottage where he lives with his partner, Cathy. Hi, Jack. Welcome to... Or should I, should I say Dr Jack? How would you prefer me to, to Jack is address you? He's 93 <laughs> and he's recently retired, so only just returned to the UK from India where he completed his work as a doctor. I don't subscribe to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> I hardly know what a podcast is. But... He's elderly, but he has incredible memory for what happened. We've got some stuff here. Um, you can, if you want to, want to sit down, sure. have a look through it. So um, these are these are newspaper clippings. Or wow, yeah. okay. Is this the list of names? Yeah, I think there are three lists actually, but they're all slightly different. And there it was, spread across the table in front of Rosie. Lists of mothers' names that Jack Prager had put together all those decades before. It's hard to overstate how important this was. Rosie and Taslima knew that to find the truth of what really happened to Bibi Hassanar and others like her, they would have to find the mothers. That's tomorrow. In a statement to The Guardian, World Kindrin say that as they are currently involved in judicial proceedings brought against them by Bibi Hassanar, they were not able to comment on her allegations. A spokesperson for Ter de Zom Netherlands told The Guardian that allegations that local TDH Netherlands staff, quote, were involved in misleading parents to give up their children for adoption have never been substantiated. They also said they were not an adoption agency, did not run a children's home, and moreover, did not mandate staff to engage in adoption-related work. Nevertheless, they describe Bibi Hassanar's account as terrible and the allegations of the women in Tongi as heartbreaking. They say that since 2019, they have been working with and providing financial support to a charity that helps reunite adoptees with their relatives in Bangladesh. You can read two very moving pieces about this story written by Teslima and Rosie. The first is titled, I'll Never Know Where I'm From, Plight of the Adopted Children of Bangladesh's Birangona Women. And the second one is Bibi's Story in Full, which is titled, My mother spent her life trying to find me, the children who say they were wrongly taken for adoption. You can search for both of those at theguardian.com. I'm Nasheen Iqbal, and this series was reported by Rosie Swash and Taslima Begum. The series producer was Natalie Hatena. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers were Huma Khalili, Joshua Kelly and Elizabeth Kassin. We'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The EY Tech Connect podcast brings you candid conversations about the most pressing priorities facing tech, media and entertainment, and telecommunications companies, and provide strategic insights on the key issues that matter to them, including topics such as the top 10 opportunities in tech, the next generation of gaming, the future of connectivity and content, and the latest talent strategies. The EY Tech Connect podcast is out now. Download today from wherever you get your podcasts.